Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, it's probably not, almost certainly not, the end of the debate around the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, but it does appear to be the end of the legal saga around challenges to the approval of this project. The Supreme Court of Canada uh, announcing today that it is not going to hear five challenges against these uh, against this project. These are the challenges that were rejected by the Federal Court of Appeal last year, and the Supreme Court of Canada has decided to leave it at that. So it would appear to be the end of the road when it comes to legal challenges against this project. Certainly, I don't know that the opposition against it goes away, uh, but at least maybe this moves this conversation into a different phase. But joining us to talk more about where opponents of this project go from here and what uh, this development today represents in a legal sense. Very pleased to welcome the program here this afternoon, Margot Venton, uh, Nature Program Director with the group Eco Justice. Uh, Margot, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so, look, I mean, certainly when uh, court decisions have gone against this project, there was an expectation that the government and, and supporters of the project respect the court's decision. Is it time for opponents of this project to respect the court's decisions? Um, well, I think what, what it's time for is to ensure that we all um, hold the government accountable to its promise to ensure that if this project is developed, there are no significant adverse impacts on um, federally protected endangered species, mm-hmm. which was the which was the issue we wanted the, the court to hear. Right, and it was an issue that the government was forced to go back and, and address. Uh, the yeah. courts concluded then that the government uh, sufficiently did so. Um, th- does this put an end, though, to any any further legal challenges on this front? So just one point of clarification, no court has confirmed that the government did actually satisfy the law, the legal requirements of the Species at Risk Act. What they what they said is they were not going to hear the case. Um, and that was what our appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada was seeking was was a was a court to review um, the question. Did Canada comply with the requirements of the Species at Risk Act? So that question is actually unanswered. Um, and and will remain unanswered because there isn't anywhere to go from the Supreme Court. Well, is it unanswered? I mean, isn't the Supreme Court essentially then deferring to the Federal Court of Appeal on this? Uh, but the Federal Court of Appeal didn't hear the case either. Um, so the Federal Court. So the first time this case went to the Federal Court of Appeal, the Federal Court of Appeal found that the court, that the government hadn't complied with the Species at Risk Act, and made them go back and reconsider. Um, the environmental impacts of the marine shipping portion of the of the project, the tankers. Um, when they reapproved the project, several groups, um, including our clients, Rain Coast Conservation Foundation and the Living Ocean Society, uh, were still of the opinion that they hadn't complied with the law, and they asked the Court of Appeal to hear that case. The Court of Appeal declined and said, we're not going to hear that case again because it's already been heard once. And therefore... Um, we sought leave to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, we're not going to hear it either. 
Okay. Offering no reasons as to why, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't give reasons. On right, which is typical, as you say, yes. Yeah. Um, now, with regard to, to the Species at Risk Act, uh, the, the concern about the, the increase in tanker traffic connected to this project, um, t- talk a bit about then what, what your concerns are. So the National Energy Board, when they reviewed the project initially and again during the reconsideration, found that if the project goes ahead, um, it will, there will be significant adverse impacts on the marine environment. Um, in particular, they found the increase in tanker traffic will further jeopardize the survival of the southern resident killer whale. That's a population whose critical habitat is actually transected by the pipeline route. Um, and then they also noted the risk of a catastrophic oil spill and the impact that, that either of those events impacts on killer whales and, and from an oil spill would have on indigenous use. Of, of killer whales and traditional other other aspects of the marine environment. So um, that is the big concern factually on the ground. The Species at Risk Act is supposed to require um, measures to be in place to avoid those impacts um, or to mitigate the impacts. And our concern is that Canada simply committed to ensuring there would be no impacts, but they didn't actually um, identify measures which have been shown to to effectively work to avoid impacts. And that was the question we wanted the court to consider. Right. Now, and can you clarify this? Because my understanding is that, that when you talk about the impact of tanker traffic, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. specific to the type of, of vessel, that, that really any kind of additional shipping traffic does present these challenges. And, and when it comes to uh, these, these ports in the lower mainland, or even those in Washington state, there, there was a lot of shipping traffic. So how does adding one more per day change what is already the, the, the status quo that we have? So if you look at the findings of the National Energy Board, what they found was, and this is based on um, the scientific evidence that was presented to them, effectively the problem is the, the, the critical habitat is already too loud. So we have an existing problem. Almost 90% of the communication space um, that whales need to survive, they, use, they, they rely on their sense of hearing to hunt, to communicate with one each other, with one another, to find mates, basically all of their life processes, 90% of that space is already taken up in during busy shipping times. And so even though it may not seem like a huge increase to add a, another tanker every day in critical habitat, it's actually, because of the existing situation, enough to put those whales past the tipping point. Essentially, they've passed that tipping point already. So what would you like to see the government do then? If it uh, means strengthening the Species at Risk Act or, or taking other steps, what could be done, in your view, to mitigate some of this? Well, we have to answer the question, how do we reduce ocean noise in the Salish Sea if we want there to be um, killer whales? That's just basically what needs to happen. And therefore, and we say that the, the Species at Risk Act requires the government to do that. The government has, in a very vague way, committed to do this, to, to offset, they say, the impacts of the project. Um, and and what, we, what has to happen now um, is that, you know, they, they need to be held to that promise. I think one of the challenges is there's not a lot of great, there's, there's not a lot of examples globally of situations in which ocean noise has been effectively reduced. We've got some ideas about how that might be able to happen. Um, but it's, uh, but not a lot of examples of thing of where that has been successfully 
those those mitigation measures have been successfully implemented. Right. And also, look, I mean, this, this is obviously not just a Canadian issue. I mean, our Species at Risk Act doesn't apply to, to the U.S., doesn't apply to uh, traffic coming uh, in and out of Washington State or tanker traffic coming from Alaska down to Washington State. I mean, how do we factor that in? Well, that's a, it's one of the things that makes this all the more challenging. But the, the killer whales are actually um, listed as an endangered species in the United States. Um, and the United States in particular, the state of Washington, has taken some um, strong action to try. They have a, a task force on killer whales. They are trying to implement measures to reduce acoustic disturbance um, from whale watching and other sources of traffic, traffic within their jurisdiction. But this issue of international traffic is to, is to a certain extent a transboundary problem um, and one which we say should really be solved before we make it any worse. So what is your focus now, uh, given that the courts have uh, put this matter to rest? Where do you go from here? Well, obviously, our clients in particular need to, to consider um, what happens next. But certainly, we will be watching to see whether the promise that is set out in the order and council to offset the impacts of this project, um, the one they colloquially refer to as more than mitigating the impacts of Trans Mountain, um, that, the, that that action is actually taken. There, there can't be, um, on the day that tankers start to sail, the absence of a mitigation strategy, or they will be in violation of Canadian law. All right. Margo, appreciate making some time for us here this afternoon. Thanks for this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.